I am um, going to begin this morning as we, in a moment, in a moment we're going to look into Scripture, but I'm going to begin with an apology about my appearance. Some of you may feel like this should be done more regularly than it is, but um, it wasn't my intention to uh, be representing Pepsi um, this morning, particularly when you see my, the subject matter of my, um, of my sermon in the moment is actually looking at how Jesus, in many ways, um, sort of turns upside down the world's approach to things like consumerism, commercialism, materialism, globalism, and so here I am wearing a Pepsi shirt. I have two purple shirts, one fits, and one hasn't fitted for a long time. Guess which one I grabbed this morning in haste as I left uh, to come very early in the morning, the wee hours, because as you all know, I'm very spiritual, and so I rise very early to spend hours walking the streets praying. Um, So, yeah, I grabbed the wrong shirt. I discovered before the service, and the choice was either to leave the shirt that I did have on under and save you from the image that, well, I used maybe a little, um, the, the image I used this morning, I'll try for something, maybe like a, um, an yeah, sorry Cameron? Did you hear that one? That's a good one, that was better than one I used. 10 kilograms of potatoes in a 5 kilogram bag <laughs> is probably, and is a lot more, uh, redeemed the, the other example I used this morning. You could talk to me afterwards about that one. Anyway, wasn't my intention. I apologise. It was certainly better than such image that you would have been presented with. That would have been entirely uh, unspiritual, unholy, uh, just not at all edifying for anyone. So I've gone with the Pepsi shirt. Going to make some transition to talking about the Word of God from there. Um, uh, we are, cont- oh, we'll go back to the, let me go right back to the start. Can you just flick back to the, I'm not sure if you're able to, oh, yeah. So now they see where we're going. Can you just press the top one rather than giving all the way my, it's like the grand reveal in, the, in reverse. No, it's, let's go, there we go, oh, there we go, cool. Okay, over the next three weeks, uh, we, we have been doing, if you're new or visiting, g'day, my name's Graham, and again, the senior pastor here, great to have you with us this morning. We have been for quite some t- time now, doing a series where we've been, we called it the King of Love, the Upside Down Kingdom in the words of Jesus. We've been going to um, Jesus' teaching on, a, on any number of issues, we've, and it's been so rich and great, and discovering, and, and we sort of gave you this lens from the start, it's there in the title, that um, Jesus just flips things upside down and and you see this most clearly in his most famous kind of teaching series the sermon on the mount where he uses phrases like you've heard this before well i say this you've heard this well i say this and in so many areas he flips it upside down and what we see when we study it when we take the time to understand do a little bit of work around the culture of the time and a little work around the language and actually not just glaze over the top we see it reveals that actually this kind of the revolutionary Jesus does flip our world upside down, but presents a picture of humanity, presents a picture of community that um, is all about flourishing. It's all about um, uh, be- better versions of ourselves, that that's God's intent. In fact, he is the king of love in a very radical way. In the next three uh, weeks, we're going to do a little mini-series that absolutely is along that theme. Uh, Jesus looks around, looks at... Jesus' words, 
to the material stuff in our life, particularly our possessions, our, our money, our wealth, our stuff. And again, what without, you know, with sort of spoiler alert, giving it away, again, he comes, probably in no more area do we see how um, confronting, how upside down his teaching is to the spirit of what we might term the spirit of the age. Um, it's quite simple. The spirit of the age, if you pay any attention, uh, and even if you don't, probably even worse, if you don't pay attention, you get swept up in the approach to stuff. It's really monopoly. Whoever has the most at the end wins. That's really the spirit of the age. And I use that term spirit of the age because um, I absolutely believe that is the outworking of the, the adversary, the enemy of our soul. There, there is a spirit there. Um, and, but I also think it's just the spirit of the age, it's just us as well. <laughs> We're just humans. We, you know, like there's, we make things easy sometimes for the enemy. It doesn't have to do much. Because if you're anything like me, um, I am aware, and if you're honest enough with yourself, what I can bring to the table is selfishness and greed and a desire. And, so, and, a, a, and certainly, you're probably aware that just a, as our world continues to deal with brokenness and pain and um, all these things, we then go and self-medicate in all sorts of ways, including buying stuff, getting stuff, feeling better about ourselves. Um, and what I want to say right up front to you this morning is that one of these two things will shape you. One of these two spirits, either, and again, this morning there's a bit, I'm making an assumption, I think it's a safe assumption, it's the assumption we make every week, that, that you're here because in some part, either a the parts of your totally soul out and God, that the word is, is the way you're going, you've been walking in it and you want to continue to do that, or... There may be always, and I think it's really important for us to always name, there might be people who kind of go, I think so, but I'm, I want to hear more. I, I hope when we gather in the door, increasingly we're the kind of church where we would assume that there are people in here and we actually have a greater sensitivity to it maybe than sometimes we do, than just expecting everybody's just like us and it's all just one big sort of, we all know what we're talking about. But to whatever degree you're here this morning, um, because we believe that actually Jesus' words are worth listening to. So you're going to be shaped by one of those things. And what I want to say this morning, unless you're really intentional and prepared, I'm going to bring us to the words of Jesus this morning about this. And it is, he is so clear. He's so confronting. We find the upside down words of Jesus being, you know, that causing havoc in some ways of flipping our world upside. Unless you're prepared to walk that path, you'll absolutely get swept up in the path of the spirit of the age. None of us are that good. We like to think we float above and we're all our own. You, you, unless you're intentional about what's shaping, you are being shaped. Unless you're intentional about what is shaping you, and particularly in this area. Could I also say up front, I kind of feel like, you know, we, you've heard the idea of sort of a gateway drug. You know, you've addiction to caffeine might lead to an addiction to marijuana which might lead on to something there's sort of these gateway things your approach and attitude your thinking and even more so your actions is like a gateway to your lifestyle to a whole lot of stuff and the way in which you shape yourself and the place that you give the word and the values of the kingdom in this area will 
absolutely. I just teaching is what tells, but it's also just what I see after so many years. It's just what life tells us, right? The way in which you order your world around this will reveal a whole lot about how you're going to order a whole lot of other stuff. So this morning, I note how quiet it's gone in the room <laughs> because that's what we do when people like me get up here and say, we're going to talk about money. It goes a bit quiet. There's a bit of an intake. You know what? And, and I get it. Can, uh, there's sort of a, a bit of an agreement up front. I get that actually when people like me in this position stand up and says, hey, we're going to talk about money. Because, again, probably particularly if you've been around church or you've been around enough to know the view of what people like me say about this sort of stuff, um, you may feel you've seen it done really poorly before. You probably have. Um, and feel like that actually at its worst... There's sometimes an agenda that you not, can't put your feet, but it's like there's some other agenda flowing underneath that. And so there's, I, I, I get that. I've been in the room where I've felt that. I've also been in enough room with enough pastors to know mostly that's just bad execution and Machiavellian intent. And I've been that guy. But I just want to name that, that uncomfortable, you know, I, I get that. Can we, and we name that. We get that's what makes also, we, that's what sort of gets brought to the table. I also think it's worth naming, if we can kind of agree here, that name that actually our humanity also brings some things to the table which we don't like giving a, like this is mine, oh, oh, thanks very much, oh, this is mine and what right have you got to speak into this area of my life and maybe sometimes behind that and again I know what this is like, I'm naming something I've recognised in me, it's because deep deep down there is, a, there is a touch of I'm not really you know I handle some of these issues I'm not really holding myself up I recognize selfishness and greed and pride and these things that are just being human so I recognize the awkwardness in the room around this is because of how this hasn't been handled well but it's also just about being human right so if, w if I can sort of name both of those things and make us all breathe out and feel uncomfortable together then I'm going to point to Jesus and you thought you felt uncomfortable before. Then we're going to hear what Jesus has got to say about it because it is, he, he really does speak to some issues here and so it's so important that we, um, we allow the words of Jesus and that's, I'm grateful too, um, last little bit of pretext, I'm grateful to Charles's, um, what Charles did a couple of weeks ago if you were here when he was speaking about another controversial and uncomfortable <laughs> topic politics when he had he 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 spoke to us about th this phrase which i think is so good a freedom of conscience and so i want to say i i want you to feel so released this morning that i recognize there is an issue of conscience for you to sort through what you believe jesus is saying here in these words and what that means for you there's a line there that I do not want to step over because the other, me in this position, using this position to step over that line of freedom and conscience is not good for me. The way I read scripture is not my role. It's not what I should be doing. So I want to release we to that this morning. There is where some work. As we look to and I encourage you, I commend you to go around and say, this is what I believe Jesus is saying here and this is what this means. But I do want... I do encourage you to do that because that is the very act of being shaped by Jesus. 
however you land, where you land, how you land, is at least doing the work of being shaped by Jesus. To not do that, that's the pastor's heart to say, to not do that will be to be swept up by the spirit of this age. And I know that is not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for our community. When we just allow ourselves to buy into the fact that whoever has the most stuff at the end wins, it's not working out well for anybody. And so this morning, I want to bring us to the words of Jesus. I I feel, and it's going to be my attempt, to not gild the lily because I don't need to. I just want us to come around because Jesus actually turns out and it reminded me again as I, as I prepared this week, as Josh said, this has been on my head and heart to do this for a while. I, I, I would prefer, and something we regularly do, that we spend a couple of weeks digging into this than sort of 10 or 15 minutes each week doing an offering talk on, and that sort of, that's where we're doing the teaching. I'd rather us to come to it really deeply, really considered and saying, and, and in that maybe it explains a little of, of where we as a church think, things lie but to look at it and again to be to be challenged and taught afresh and anew that's happened to me again this week because it turns out jesus talked a bit about this stuff i think it's in fact more and i think it's been with um um, by probably not it's certain observation there's probably not an issue broadly than your relationship to money to possessions to wealth I don't think there's an issue he talks more about. Because it, and partly because once you see it, it's, it's threaded through a lot of things, and we're going to see that. It's also important to know, he doesn't speak into a vacuum, this issue that we're going to look at. And, and what I want to, two things there, again, given away in the title, faithful stewards, not owners. It's my, it's my um, encouragement to you this morning that Jesus would say we should base our relationship with uh, the financial resources and the other resources in our life and consider ourselves not as owners, again, which is very much as it's yours and you've got the right to do with your... There's a truth with that, but it's not the truth. It's not the full truth. And in fact, a better explanation is that we are faithful stewards. And this is something that's established from the very, very start, literally from the first chapter in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, of all the things that perhaps we might contend about what Genesis 1 does or doesn't mean, what is clear is that God is saying, I'm God. <laughs> I'm the creator. The world, and as the psalmist says, the world and everything in it is mine. Because we have God there at the start, creating and making it all. And then we keep this interesting thing where he played Adam and Eve, man. Uh, maybe for the first listener in the ancient world, a surprising role for something so inferior to a supreme be- being, he actually exalts humanity and gives them this role, and in the narrative as the, as the tenders of the garden, an incredible freedom. And the theological word, which has been corrupted a little at times, misunderstood, is dominion. Such, such a role that it actually, if you didn't know what was going on behind the scenes in the creation, you'd think it was their world because they have the freedom to name the animals, to um, subdue the animals, to work the farm. It looks like it's theirs. But behind this, and this is why Genesis 1 is so important and foundational, it's clear it's God's world. He is the creator. And actually what he's done is sort of handed it over and handed a freedom and a responsibility over to man. And then it 
kind of goes to pear shape from that in a, in, a, in more than way, more than uh, one way. But so we've got that very from the start written to this idea of stewardship that we're going to come back to. As we move forward, another it's it's really another concept that is really really important that Jesus comes and turns up the volume for, and that we've got to recognise is that whenever God in the Old Testament is stewardship to the material world to their finances. It's always collective. There's always, you you just can't find this idea that he's ever just talking to individual people about their own possessions. And it is so deeply steeped and sort of soaked through the law that actually the way in which you will deal with the stuff that you're stewarding, your goats and your crops and your, your stuff, your money, if you're going to be in line with God's intent, it will have a blessing for other people. There's no such, there's actually no such thing as just your stuff. And so we've got things like in, in the Old Testament law, the expectation that as you're harvesting your field, you'll leave some around the edges. You won't go and take all of it because there will be people who are down on their luck in your community who will need to come and just actually take some for themselves. So the expectation is, sure, it's yours, you're going to harvest it, but of course, you're going to leave some for others. We've got this incredible, incredibly rich, the, the economy is built on this cycle that every seven years, there's going to be a sort of a, a, a releasing of people from debt. And then every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, we press the big reset button and everything that you thought you were stewarding that was yours goes back to, it like starts again. And it's this unbelievable of um, picture of how general in poverty. You can't be a family that has no inheritance year after year after year. As someone who's worked in community development and understands how generational poverty, and there's people here who work in this space, the idea that it would all get rebooted after 50 years and start again, that is revolutionary. And that's just soaked in there. There is no I. And so we find ourselves in this interesting place and I, I, I'm going to be much more disciplined, not going on a tangent here, because there's so much happening right now that bears out this stuff. But we find ourselves in an interesting place as being a part of the West, where, um, where we have so much, the f- so much of the fruit of Western civilization, the Western world sort of, you know, going from the Roman Empire through the, the sort of the Western Europe and British Europe and then going to America, Australia, so many good things that has delivered to the world freedom for slavery, justice, because it's built off the back of this understanding, yeah, we all think that actually God's views of justice and God's view of the economy should be written into our civilization. And so as a result, Western civilization has given to all humanity incredible gifts and, and just law and the, f- the freedom, all these incredible things. Democracy, they're all, if, you, if you're careful with history, and in fact, I've said before, Goodness of this fact, even non-Christian ones. That that is true. That Western civilization has done things because of these ideas. So there's all this good, but somehow we've also delivered our gift to the world is hyper individualism. This idea that the most realized and fullest expression of the West is what you are able to do. You can go from nothing and build yourself up and be a great empire and become, you know, nothing's going to stand in your way. And 
there's a truth there, but all error is just truth taken to an extreme. And we are living in a time, and Jesus said, the wheat will grow with the tares. And both of those things are growing in, in Western civilization. And out of that comes the greed, the commercialism, the, the kind of the corporate um, uh, globalization, all, all sorts of stuff that we can name all the isms. We've got both of these things going on in the West. And Jesus, I think that's why it's so good for some of the, the weeds that have grown out of Western culture, it's so good to come back and let Jesus confront them because, boy, does he confront. So again, I'm just pointing to the words of Jesus this morning and saying to you, if you're here this morning and consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to do something about these words. You've got to do something because it's written there. I've got a red that's written in this. So you're going to have to do something about it. To not do anything, to turn the page, is to say, I'm just going to sweep along with the cultures of our tide and it's not working out well for us. So, let's get to these words. In fact, I'm just going to speak to... Um, oh, no, the other thing I was going to do is just point out how, again, Jesus speaks to this issue. It's right there at the very start for Jesus. I've mentioned this before, that I think, actually, we tend to look... Um, if you say, what's, what's sort of sum up the mission of, of the church? We go to the Great Commission at the end of Jesus, like, therefore, go in... And that's not wrong. I don't think it's the fullest expression. I think that's the continuation of... That's Jesus saying, yeah, go and do this. But if you want the best single explanation of what Jesus is about, you go to the start, not the end. And that's where he gets up, and it's kind of almost like his first sermon. And he gets up in the, um, he gets up in the synagogue, his local synagogue, and, he's, and he quotes Isaiah, and you will have seen me. Out of every second sermon, I come back to this, because it's just, again, it's resetting. This is what we're about. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord. If that doesn't address the economic situation, then if you don't see or read that, then what does good news to the poor look like? Um, but even more than that, what I want to say is, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He didn't say those words. He would have said the Hebrew version of the year of Jubilee. And so it would have been impossible if you were there in that synagogue to not hear first Jesus referring to this thing where, where the whole economy gets rebooted so that there's no generational poverty and it's about justice and things get redistributed. It would have been impossible. Now, if you were there, you might have gone, I think he's talking about something a bit more than that. He's talking about this thing that we know that's about econ the economy. But it f maybe he's talking about a bit more, which he was. He's talking cosmically. But it absolutely includes that. 2,000 years later, we've maybe scrubbed that bit and just think he's talking about our freedom from sin and kind of all these other things, which is true. But it has a grounding. And if you were there at the time, you definitely would have thought, oh, he's talking about money. I was so grateful for, and it was such a good thing, and I'm going to ask, at some time I'm going to ask Josh to do a little bit more, the Lord's Prayer. Again, Josh pointed out the language. When Jesus answered, how do we pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy kingdom come, will be done. Da, 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 da. Forgive us our sins. And this is the, as we use King James Version, debted to us. And Josh said that language was very intentional. It has an economic, it absolutely, the first listener, which is important that we understand what the first listener would hear to this. 
would have heard Jesus say, every day you need to pray that you would forgive debts. And they would have heard an economic thing. They would have not been able to escape that. Again, they might have gone, it feels like he's talking about something bigger and broader than that. That would be true, but it absolutely means that. 2,000 years on, do we hear that reverberated? Maybe less so. Maybe because it's a bit more comfortable to take it away from an area that we feel loathe to at times give over to the Lordship of Christ. So it's, Jesus, it's, it, there's so many times where it's threaded through what he is saying and it takes a little bit of work. If you're just going to skim across scripture and cherry pick things, you might miss it. You'll miss a whole lot of things and you'll do great damage to the word of God. That's why as much as possible, we, Cornerstone's always been a place where we're saying, hey, this might not be easy, but we're going to go deep into Scripture here. We're going to try and understand this. You might walk away from Sunday to Sunday. I'm not sure I got all of that. We get it. We'll try and back up over it. We don't apologize for that. Real depth. We're going to let the Word frame us, which sometimes might take a little bit of work. A little bit of work. So that's there. So this gets to, there's going to be two, um, two parables I want to speak to. And I could have picked a number of other ones here because, again, what confronted me was how there's such a clear pattern when Jesus is, he, he's being less cryptic here. This, he is clearly, what we're about to see, talking about those who would be followers of his um, sort of attitude and actions and behaviours towards their finances and resources. And he told a parable, and there's some real similarities here in these parables that we're going to take a look at. Now, the two parables, they're in Luke, what's called the Synoptic Gospels, where you can kind of lay them over each other. I'm going to start off in Luke here, but we're going to actually tell the full story in Matthew. Because Matthew's, Luke and Matthew sort of draw out a little bit, um, a little bit slightly different thing that gives us a fuller picture. I want to start in, in Luke here. The wise and unwise manager, if you've got this in Scripture, you might see a heading like that, or it might say the wise and unwise um, steward, it might say the wise and unwise servant. And the language here is important, what we want to see. So we'll read this fully in a moment in Matthew, but Jesus is speaking again, explaining the kingdom of heaven. Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven. Remember, some revision. He's not talking about the place in the sky you go to when you die. When Matthew says kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about what happens after you die. He's saying this is what it's like for those who are under the lordship of Jesus the realm of authority of Jesus. If that's your life, if you're saying Jesus has authority in my life, his words mean something, then you're in the kingdom of heaven now. Okay, so don't get tricked up by that. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Now behind this word manager is this word, oikonomos. And that literally means manager of the household. You might see or hear oikonomos is the Greek word that we get the word economy from that is where we get the word economy which is just kind of like a way of saying the way things get done around here and so in australia we have economic policies that are different to new zealand for instance or other places in the world because we're saying this is the way in which we as an as a as a nation handle the money well they wouldn't have the first hearers wouldn't have heard that idea they would have heard a job he's referring to Oh, a job, and another way in which that gets rendered is Jesus telling a story about um, uh, 
a, a faithful economos, he's talking about Stuart, and you go, oh, I know, my friend, my friend Harry is, a, is an economos. He's a manager of this really wealthy guy outside of town, and he manages, you would picture a job where someone again, and, and get, the, get the consistency here, picturing someone whose job it is to manage their household with such a level of trust and such a level of empowerment that if you bumped into Harry at the market, you might have thought it was all his stuff he was doing. He wasn't just doing tasks. He was given a freedom and a responsibility. He was empowered to the point where it actually even looked like it was his stuff, but what he was doing was outworking the will of the master, so to speak. So that's the context. That's what manager means here. Um, now, over in Matthew, he tells a story about the faithful, sensible servant. He uses a different word, which actually means servant. Now, between Matthew and Luke, what I want you to see here is Luke saying, hey, this, the, the character in this story is one of those people who is actually, a, he's doing things on behalf. It's not a lowly slave. Matthew was always really keen on the sort of, the lordship of Christ. And he wants to be really clear. This is that one who is totally bought into the past work. It's together and you've got the essence of the parables. You see what the synoptic gospels can do for us? It tells us a rounded story. So, Jesus says, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil or, or is, is no good, you know, doesn't do, is, is doing his own thing um, and thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins to beat other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites in in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth didn't that just really turn around verse 50 <laughs> didn't that just kind of i mean we're all tracking with it and it is one of those parables that actually is less obscure we can really clearly see what and that's interesting that it's less we can really clear what see what jesus is saying here who the master is in this story someone is clearly god we get who the servant is clearly someone who's seen him right we get the the master, the issue is about whether he's managing his role for the benefit of the other servants. Do you see that as well? It's actually the issue that he's got an issue with. He's not, he's not doing his right and other people are suffering. And then he returns, he cuts the servant to pieces and assign a place with the hypocrites. Hypocrite, interestingly, the word behind that, the Greek word, is actually an actor. Literally, it's like the hypocrite was referred to someone who was acting a part. It's like you're, you're pretending to be someone, but we can see through you. You're not really that person. And another word I found, another, another um, sort of explanation for that is you're a disassembler. You, it's like you, the way you're doing this is actually undoing the idea of it. Think about that for our witness in the world. We're disassembling what it means when we're not being good stewards. What's really clear here, I want to, he then tells this other story, I'm going to come back to the similarities. He then tells this other one, you might be more familiar with this one, this is the parable of the talents. I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase this for the sake of time. Again, again, there is a master, again, and there are servants, again it's really the master who they are representing in the story. Trusts with a level of empowerment 
These are not slaves. These are people who are given money and said, go and do something with it. And interestingly, the servant doesn't give a task and say, I want you to do this and invest in these stocks and I want you to buy this. He just gives them. And he doesn't even give instructions. They are empowered. And then one of them goes away and invests really wisely and returns a, a um, double, I think. Hang on. Uh, yeah. Well, they, du- they double what they have. They double what they have apart from the, the servant of the story you don't want to be, who actually, and this is what I always find difficult about this, doesn't lose the money, just takes it and buries it in the field and gives it back. And you'd think that'd be okay. And here's the thing that I've, in this, that's always, as a, as a pastor and leader, that's always confronting, but it's not just a, a leadership narrative. There is no reward in the kingdom. In fact, this story, the words of Jesus, written in red, says there is judgment for safety and not taking risks. Consider that. He returned it back. He didn't lose anything. And he was the one that was judged because there's an expectation that you're going to do something. You know that you've been entrusted with this for the sake of something else. This is stewardship. That what you have, what you can put your hand on in terms of your resources, it's been entrusted to you for the sake of doing something else. And of course, it's there for your own sustenance and sort of survival of the here. We get this right back from Abraham, where Abraham, through, says to Abraham, I'm blessing you. Through, through you, all nations will get blessed. The idea is that like, I'm going to see good stuff through you, that on the way, it's going to be good for you. No doubt about that. But it's actually meant to flow through stewardship. Of stewardship. And similarities and perhaps the, again the thing that I don't need to over egg the pudding here because it's just here and you're all intelligent people you can read it there is an expectation Jesus is saying that if you're going to be a steward in the kingdom of God your relationship with your resources is not one of an owner I can do with it what I want there's a, there's a level of accountability how does that play out what does that look like how harsh will that be will I literally be cut into pieces it's a story, it's a metaphor. We can, we could, that's another sort of sermon series. What is clear, though, is Jesus wants you to understand it's not just a suggestion, right? I, I don't think you can. I think you've got to do incredible theological gym, gymnastics with that to not see that Jesus, Jesus is saying, it's not Paul, it's not Peter. He, they, they picked up on this. Jesus is saying there's an expectation and there will be an accountability. Fortunately, it's the king of love saying that. <laughs> so with the full counsel of scripture says that he's not come. He's come for us to have life and life abundance. He's not come to condemn them. All but sorts of other parts, we've got to bring it with me. It's there. So here's the thing that I want to sort of land on the other part. In all of these, in through the other gospels, in all of these stories, this word comes up. The adjective comes up again and again and again. Faithful. It's a faithful servant. It's a faithful servant. A steward is someone who doesn't just think the right things, but does them without fuss. Think of the picture of the faithful people in your life, and you are probably picturing someone who's probably old, older. If you think, who's the faithful saint you can picture? You're probably picturing someone who is older, who has just demonstrated day after day that they live out what they believe for the benefit of others. Is that the kind of picture you go to? 
but you're not thinking of someone who's got some good ideas, who's got some good thoughts. There might, might be other adjectives to that. You're thinking of someone who doesn't want any much glory, who doesn't want much recognition, but they just live out what they believe again and again and again, and they're dependable. The reward, and Matthew points this out, that actually well done, good and faithful servant is the commendation you receive when you enter into eternity. What Matthew's saying, there's no higher praise than to be faithful. Now talk about, push back against the spirit and gifted. When I get there, I want to be well done, good and charismatic servant. Well done, good and effective. Well done, good and successful. No, no, just well done, good and faithful servant. You lived out what you believed. And this is the encouragement to you this morning. I'll get the team to come up. The call is for us to be faithful stewards who are using what is within ours. It's not the, the biblical picture. Is that the resources that you have, there is a sense in which, of course, you are responsible. You have an ownership. They are there for your blessing and for your well-being. But the full biblical picture is that it's going to flow through you and be used for the purposes of God. You can say yes and amen to that till the cows come home. Jesus' words to say, actually, it's the faithful servant, is you've got to come up with an answer. What will that look like repeated on a weekly or monthly cycle, on a regular cycle? Because James says that actually faith, ideas, without works, is kind of like not having those ideas at all. So this morning, I want to us to so the smoothfulness. I want to point to the words of Jesus. It's confronting. There's been seasons in my life where I would have said yes and amen, particularly starting out in my journey. I would have said yes and amen to all of these things. But it took a while to ground in a faithfulness where I would be comfortable and confident enough to say, yeah, that you can, you can see the evidence of where I believe these things. And this morning, I, it's not mine. There is a freedom. I, I trust you sense this. There's a freedom because it's given by God and not mine to take away. For you to work through what does that mean? We might talk about the, the role of the tithe in that, what that's meant historically, what does that mean, this side of the cross. There's, there's, there's more to, to talk through that has complexity. But this morning, I just want to trust the Spirit to, and to encourage you exhort you towards you you got to do something with these words you got to do something and i got friends wonderful faithful people who do slightly different things with these words maybe even slightly different things to what i would understand them to do but they can point to a faithfulness and my encouragement to you this morning is that even and i've asked a little bit later and a couple of weeks i've asked clem to speak about generosity and i don't want to make too much of a faulty distinction. I do want to make a distinction between the kind of action that's born faithfulness and generosity. They're linked, but I want to commend you to faithfulness this morning because I see it really clearly there in Scripture. As we close, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion together. Have you got the cup? I think it's a great context to come around these ideas and remind